Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Inter means Internazionale, and AC Milan is the original team. So it's literally like a team that came out of another team. Every single AC Milan explains that and how they came about. Just so that I mean, it you is. can sun them and but make it seem like they're if, lesser than. If, if a click like they're a rib. But they are. Do you know what an appendix is? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So you know how you can take a part of your body out and you don't need it? And it can, you know, can, you can, that's what Inter yeah, is. And as that poorly explained analogy about the creation of Inter Milan by BR Football, the Inter gods were looking brightly down at the San Siro on Wednesday evening. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian podcast. My name is Adam and today it's a bit of a solo edition. But never fear, I'm joined by a guest to discuss Chelsea and their season, whilst also capturing my thoughts on the Champions League games and we'll wrap it up by talking about the upcoming fixtures across Premier League and Serie A. So join me right after this break. Never did I think that when I was recording with Charlie back in August last year, that I'd see him utter the words, we are staying up after one of his reviews. But I'm delighted to say that I'm with my good friend and the most sensible Chelsea fan that I know. And that is Charlie Patrick from the Blues Brothers uh, channel, but he also appears on Chelsea Fan TV. So, Charlie, nice having you on this podcast to discuss your beloved Chelsea and uh, to go through what seems like the most hectic but crazy season you probably have endured as a Chelsea fan. Is that fair reflection so far? Yeah, I would say so. First things first, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be back. Yeah, certainly not in the circumstances I was expecting having up uh, from following on from our discussion in August. But yeah, it's been it's been kind of mad. Um, you know, mm. Chelsea never a dull season following us, whether it's the sanctions last season to this season, new owners, obviously. And yeah, we've gone from Thomas Tuchel to Graham Potter to Bruno to Frank Lampard. Um, it, we've kind of gone full circle. We replaced Lampard with Tuchel, and now Lampard's back at the helm for the rest of the season. Um Pretty much everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. There have been some positives in mm. terms of investments. Some really exciting young players have, have come in who I think can do really well in the future. But in terms of this season and what we've seen on the pitch, it's been it's been terrible. It really mm. hasn't. At times, you've looked like the worst team in the league. There's, I've been to certain games and like if, it, if there wasn't a Chelsea uh, logo on the shirt, you'd think we'd be, you we think it was a you know we were Southampton or or Forest <laughs> or, or whoever it is. It's been it's been that bad at times, but. I think there is some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but yeah, it certainly doesn't feel like it at the moment. 
Yeah, no. Well, let's start off with the positives. So you've scored more goals in May than you have in the entirety of, I think, uh, Lampard's reign up until kind of May anyway. So that's a positive. He scored three against Bournemouth. Saw you celebrating like mad. And you even reflected on Chelsea fan TV. It was just getting that winning feeling again. Um, but I suppose from that point onwards, I mean, thinking about the season and how it's played out, I mean, who do you kind of start pointing the fingers to? Because it... From my point of view, it feels like there's a collective kind of pointing out um, because I know at the beginning of the season, it seemed like it was a bit of too cool to be in with, especially when you think about the backdrop of that pre-season and the signings that he brought in. But then you think like Bowley, he kind of sort of seemed to get a strategy in, but didn't really necessarily give the trust to Potter in the end. And then it sort of kind of wanes, I suppose. So, um, yeah, is it a collective blame when we're talking about Chelsea season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, the default thing is everyone loves to have a scapegoat for, 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 mm. for, for situations when they go wrong. I don't know if it makes people feel better about themselves or it like kind of gives some sort of closure. It's definitely this guy's fault rather than looking at it from a kind of more of an open view. Um, I mm. think even looking back now, hindsight's great. I mean, I didn't really think it too much at the time, but you could already tell in pre-season that you know, some things didn't seem right. You know, the tour was an absolute disaster. Yes, that was organised by the previous re regime, but, you know, so much travelling, not that many games. Um, every game in pre-season, we got worse and worse. Um, then Tuchel's comments after the Arsenal game when we got hammered 4-0, yeah. I think it was in Florida. Um, you know, something along the lines of same players, why do you expect anything to be different sort of thing, which is never going to go down well with the owners. I don't think they took too kindly mm. to those comments. Yes, they heavily invested in the team, but you could tell that the tension was was, was there. Um, yeah. Tuchel not happy with preparations. I think he was reasonably happy with, with the recruitment. And at the time, I was quite excited by the recruitment. You know, Mark Cucurella mm. coming off a fantastic season at Brighton where he was player of the, yeah. player of the season there. Pep Guardiola and Man City wanting him. Obviously, they had their valuation. They were, weren't prepared to go any further than. We obviously went further than it. Mm. Um, brought him in. You know, you think good signing. You think Raheem Sterling, whilst I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge Sterling fan. You look at it on the face of it and you think, well, 50 million quid for a guy who's 27 yeah. probably still in the prime years of his career only yeah. him only him Aguero and Messi have scored 100 goals under Pep you think you look at it and you think well on the surface of it it's a good player but when you strip it back and you look at how much he struggled this season like his deficiencies are 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 exploited massively in this Chelsea team because you haven't mm. got the world-class players around him that you do at City it's not the well or the machine like it is at Man City and City win three or four most weeks. So if you miss a few chances, no one cares. Mm. Or if you miss a few chances, but then you put your third or fourth one away, that that, that that's cool. No one's bothered. But at Chelsea, you yeah. miss a couple of chances. You're not getting any more chances. And then that could be the, that's the difference between winning, losing, drawing, whatever it may be. So I think his deficiencies have been exposed. But yeah, look, the owners have got some responsibility on their shoulders 100 mm -hmm. of course they do because i think Bowley's come in and it's, it's important to to, to pre preface this with the fact that i don't think people fully appreciate how long takeovers take and how quickly this chelsea takeover was rushed through due to obviously unforeseen circumstances out of out of the club's control you know mm -hmm. you look at the newcastle saudi takeover and you know that's best part of a year to go through these things take time to go through a deal of this magnitude takes time to be done we're not talking about a few million quid we're talking about billions here mm -hmm. you know that that that, that, that money just doesn't just appear you know there's a lot of reassurances yeah. there's a lot of things you've got to go through and that's been rushed through where i think Bolian and, and co have got things wrong are to start with the summer 
I look back at it now, and if you were having inklings that Tuchel wasn't your guy, get rid of him before the season starts yeah. because straight away you're making it so difficult for the next person that comes in. You know, they've come in. This group of players has done a pre-season under Thomas Tuchel, who plays in a completely different way to what Graham Potter plays. You're then coming into that, and you're thinking, right, okay, I've got to try and change the way these guys have played, even though they've done a whole pre-season. Mm preparing to play in a different way. You've got a manager in Graham Potter that comes in and, you know, the squad, the summer signings, you think, well, all right, yeah, Wesley Fafana, et cetera, probably would have be, be happy to work with him for sure. Cucurella, obviously the connection there, I'm sure he would have been more than happy with that, but he's not going to have signed the Bamiyang. Probably wouldn't have signed Sterling, I would argue. Um, and then you've got other bits of business, triple maker and mm. whatnot, kind of neither here nor there. But yeah, I think the biggest mistake Bowley's made is not, Get, was not getting a sporting structure in place uh, yeah. before before making that decision. And I, I fully appreciate, you know, that you can't just pluck guys out of thin air and be like, right, I want no. this guy's my sporting director. I want this is my director of football. This is whatever it is. Mm. Like, you can't just make that happen. The, the, those things do take time. So I'm not necessarily saying that should have been in place for the summer window, but I think that at least part of that yeah. department or at least one person should have been in place before Thomas Tuchel was sacked. Because who mm -hmm. was who was advising Bowley to appoint Graham yeah. Potter? Like we know that Graham Potter, you know, is not a bad manager. Um, yeah, so I'm very well at right, and he was one of the most reputable guys in the game. Mm -hmm. You know, up and coming in the Premier League, certainly from an English manager's perspective. Yeah. So you look at it, and you think, all right, it was on the face of it, not a not a dreadful appointment. You know, yes, it's very different from what Chelsea have done before appointing someone who has got no trophies on the CV to to kind of back himself up, but. You know, new owners, mm. clubs change, and you can't always keep doing the same thing. But I'm, I'm just wondering, well, who who advised Todd Bowley to appoint yeah. Graham Potter? Because you got him and Egg Barley, and I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful to them, but I highly doubt they had an extensive knowledge of football or they had any idea who Graham Potter was. I, I, I could be, I could be totally wrong on that. <laughs> that, that, that yeah. but that's just my hunch. Yeah, yeah. So, who was advising on that decision? Who was telling them, right? This is the guy you need to go for. This, this is what. This is what we need to do. And it all happened very, very quickly. I don't know if you remember, but like Tuchel was gone. Yeah. Within within 24 to 48 hours, Potter was in and, and it was done. He yeah. was unveiled, done his presser, and 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 we were away. So I think in terms of mistakes that have been made, yes, um that that for me is a mistake um in terms of not putting a sporting director in or not having a sporting department in place. Bowley trying to do too much himself. Um, when particularly when you're new to the the sport and you've got literally no idea, I I I, I respect the hustle and the work rate, jetting off here, there, and everywhere, meeting all different people at clubs, um, you know, forging relationships and whatnot. And you know, you speak to certain certain you know chairman or whatever have spoken, and you know, it's been like a pleasure to deal with and, and whatnot. Great, but you're new to the football club, like you like you need to be delegating these things. We can't be having one thing this way, one thing that way. You know, you can't be doing it all. So, I think. That that was a mistake. I also think that the mis I, I don't think that, I don't necessarily think they've made too many bad decisions. I just question the timing of the decisions. As I referred to, yeah, Thomas yeah. Tuchel being sacked. Tuchel should have been sacked before the season started, or or he should have been given to the World Cup and sacked then in that one month break. Mm -hmm. Fine, not yeah. a problem. Um, Graham Potter coming in, don't have a huge issue with. It's not a massive issue for me. Mm. I thought, I, honestly, I, I was a big Graham Potter fan. I was a lot more leeway yeah. with him than than a lot of Chelsea fans did. But eventually, you know, he, he did have to go. Yeah. Things, were, things weren't getting any better at all. Um, he didn't conduct himself like a Chelsea manager. Some of his comments after the game were poor. Um, In-game management was dreadful as well. Like, there, things yeah. things were, were bad. He had to go. But my, my issue is that 
He should have gone months ago. If you're going to get rid of him, get rid of him a couple of months prior. There was a number of games that we lost so many games, right? Mm. He could have gone months ago. He could have gone in January, for example. Um, but he didn't. He was here till April. And like, you get to that point, you're like, well, we're not going down. We're not playing for anything. What is the point of sacking Graham Potter with 10 games to go? So I, I don't, I, that, that for me, the timing, don't disagree with the sacking, timing-wise, terrible. And then bringing Lampard in, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that because at that point you're thinking, right, well, we're not going to get someone to come into this mess with 10 games to go who, like a reputable manager, someone that you want to be like the long-term face of, of, of the project. You're not going to get that. So you're looking at, well, who can we get as an interim that, and you want someone that knows the club that, you know, it's not going to take them time to a, to, a, to to adjust. Lampard, on the face of it, all right, he knows the club inside out. He's been here before. He's a legend that gets the fans on site. It was a PR move, you know. It, it, it was. Mm. It was definitely kind of trying to save face, bit of a crowd, bit of a crowd pleaser. Um, and we know that Lampard's not a good manager. There's no, we're not going to dress it up, you know. The only difference is that he's not getting pelters from, from, from the stands because of what he did as a player. If he was anyone else, he'd be getting absolutely hammered. And yeah. uh, he obviously gets leeway there. And I think... It's kind of, I, I think it's clever from from the board there because no one's really going to criticise him for appointing Lampard because in that situation, what are yeah. we going to do? So, yeah, look, I've, I've sort of gone round the houses there, but ultimately for me, it's the, the decisions, I don't necessarily disagree with the decisions they've made. I just think the timing of them is, is, is terrible. I think Bowley's tried to do a little bit too much too quickly, too many changes too quickly. Um, but what I do rate is the ambitions there and the investments there. And mm. I think some of the signs are really exciting. And I think there is there is room to be positive in the future, but yeah, they, they've got to fix up quickly because you know once the fans are on your back, like it can be tough to get them off. So they, they can't really afford to be making any more bad decisions in in in, in the near future. Yeah, well, Charlie, that sounded like a therapy session, so hopefully it feels a bit better from your side of things. Um, but on that point, I wanted to kind of allude to one of your comments. I remember seeing, which was you alluded to the fact that this kind of systemic kind of, like, I suppose, transfer policy and, you know, the changes that have happened, happened prior to Bowley kind of joining, because you mentioned in one of your streams, I think it was a recording potentially for Chelsea Fan TV, you alluded to the fact that in previous seasons, you hadn't gone out in the marketplace and got three or two world-class players in those areas that you needed, for example, like defence, for example. I think it was one of the comments you alluded to where Aspicoletta has been there for years, but Obviously, we could see the kind of hallmarks of a player that is coming to the end of his maybe lifespan at the club. And, you know, as much as he's club legend, you could see his legs tiring and, you know, you needed to replace him maybe sooner. Um, do you think that kind of blame also goes to the previous regime and the likes of Petacek as well? Yeah, for sure. Look, I think look, I, I like if it's easy to get involved in kind of a slanging match. Oh, it was it's the it's Roman's yeah, fault, yeah. it's Bowley's fault. But there's no denying it that yes, we picked up some European trophies and a couple of domestic cups here and there. But we've been on a decline since winning the league in 2017 under Antonio Conte, and the recruitment for the last four or five years has been terrible, absolutely shocking. You know, Tuchel worked miracles and bought that side to a level they've of the, those players have never reached before and haven't really reached since in order to win that Champions League. When you win that Champions League, you've got to, you've got to go again. You've got to invest big. And it was naive to think that, oh, all we needed to do was put a striker in, in, in that team and everything was going to be fine. It wasn't. You could see that those players were performing well above their level and well above their stations. And, you know, to win a Champions League and then go out and add Bettinelli as a third-choice keeper, bring Saul in on loan, and then spend a hundred million on on Lukaku is 
it's a disastrous window. It's so bad. And I just look at it and think, well, where was the planning there? Who who was who was thinking things through? Who was thinking how these players were going to fit into the system? And you talk about board signings, and it's like it's kind of murky water to get in. What's a board signing? Yeah. What's not a board signing? How much say does each manager actually have in in, in, in signings? But yeah. I think it was clear that if it was down to Tuchel, he wouldn't have signed Lukaku, in my opinion. Um, I think I think that was very much one that Roman was was dri- was driving. Mm. He, he he wanted that, and I guess like as a manager, you're going to say no to a hundred million pound striker. Probably not, but I just look at recruitment and it's been so poor for so many years now. Like that Mm. window, for example, the fact that not signing until until January, not signing anyone in midfield since can since we signed Kante and Jorginho, I think in what sixteen or seventeen. Obviously, we signed Kovacic, but he was already there on loan, and we probably only signed him because we had the transfer ban, and somehow we were able to activate that option to buy. I'm not really sure how. That was within the rules, but you know yeah. it, it, it is what it is. But n- chronic lack of investment in midfield, no forward thinking. Like I look at a team like Real Madrid, succession planning is so important. You know, you go from Modric, Casemiro, Cruz, right? Casemiro gone, Chouameni in, not a problem. No one's talking about yeah. Casemiro missing at Real Madrid. Modric and Cruz probably ex- will extend for another year, but you've got Chouameni's already there for a season. You've got Camavinga who would have already been there yeah. for a season. Talking about bringing in Jude Bellingham in the summer, then you've got Fede Valverde there as well. So you're mm-hmm. like, people are already thinking about they're thinking two, three windows ahead. At yeah. Chelsea, there was no thinking ahead about what mm. we're going to do. Players out of contract, players that don't want to be here. How are we going to replace these guys? You can't just let five, six go and then go and buy another five or six every window. You've got to think about the planning, and that was a big, that was a big problem. Like big problem for me mm. is that there was just a complete lack of foresight, complete lack of planning, and looking ahead two or three windows. Like, and I think that's part. That's that's something that has cost us big time. It, it, it really has. You know, I think some of that damage is trying to be repaired now. Yes, I'm fully aware we're mm. not going to have windows like January where we go out and buy six, seven players every window. But because of the complete lack of investment and just m- chronic misuse of funds, we're in a situation where we had to go and get that many players in one window to fix the mess that had been left before. Because if you're on the top, you're adding two or three world-class players or two or three top-level players each window, then that's cool. And then those Mm. guys would have been there for a season or two. And then you phase out the other guys and they're already used to the club. They're used to the league and used to the way of playing. So the succession planning, that needs to be thought about. I mean, thank God Scott McLaughlin's gone. He was chief scout. He was the guy that... Uh, a lot, I think, along with Tuchel as well, said that Chouameni wasn't ready to, to play play at this <laughs> right. level, and uh, and we got Saul on loan instead, and Chouameni went to Real Madrid, and and yeah, that, that, yeah. It's, it's decisions like that, decisions to offer Aspilicueta a two-year contract, unnecessary, not needed. Yes, legend won it all, fantastic, we love you, but like this is 2023, we cannot still mm. be playing Aspilicueta in a Chelsea lineup. He can't be starting yeah. week in, week out. You know, it's decisions like this which are poor, lack of hindsight. Decisions made on sentimentality rather than footballing decisions. So that I think that go, a lot of that goes back to the old regime. Um, new regime remains to be seen. The summer's going to be really important. Are they going to be ruthless and just get rid of the players that aren't good enough and don't want to be here? That's going to be the key. But I'm under no illusions as well that we're not going to be able to get rid of all the players you want to get rid of in the summer. Mm-hmm. We're not. There might not be that many takers for some of them, you know, on big on big contracts coming off a shocking season. Um, it might be hard to shift some of them, but we've got to do our best and... And we just got to start making ruthless decisions again. Stop making decisions on sentimentality mm. and get recruitment right. But I think now the likes of Joe Shields, Paul Wynn Stanley, etc., Christian Vivell driving that recruitment, that data-led approach. 
Um, I think some of the I think the recruitment now is, is in safe hands and it's going to be a lot better than it has been in the past. Mm. Well, you've definitely stolen my question that I was going to ask you was around the players that you have brought in. And I suppose for in my head, I've kind of see it as whoever takes over this Chelsea squad, they've probably still got at least two or three windows to maybe fix it up and maybe get into their philosophy of play. So thinking about the signings that you have bought, I mean, who's impressed you so far from what you've seen? of the season anyway and I suppose who do you think we should maybe take a like a maybe conscious like concentration on because I, I feel like players like Enzo Fernandez will come good in time I uh, just question of wrong time right now transition etc or, or who do you think we should keep an eye out on I think if we go back to the summer, um, I think Wesley Fofana has been a fantastic signing and will be a fantastic signing for that for that money I think he's been he's been exceptional for us um He's missed a lot of the season for injury, but when he's come back for the second part of the season, he's he's been really good. The rest of the summer business, Sterling, Cucurella, have been have been poor. Um, but I'm not going to be too harsh on them. I think it's really tough. It's really harsh to 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 kind of write players off our, our, after after one season. So not been good enough. But I think they they deserve more time. In terms of the January signings that are exciting, you touched on Enzo Fernandez. I think has been fantastic since he's come in in difficult circumstances as well. Um, you know, into a mess. Um. British transfer record, and the, you know, like you could see the headlines. As soon as he'd done anything wrong, it would be like, "Oh, waste the money." This British record flop and all that. Mm. There's been none of that because he's actually, on the whole, he's been pretty good in in in, in all the games that he's played, and, and, and that's credit to him at 22 years of age to come in, most expensive Premier League player in history, and kind of just hit the ground running in a Chelsea team that is massively struggling. Is it, credit to him, and once we get the players around him in midfield, you know, sign a number six, get someone else alongside him. You know, then we can really start to see him flourish next season. I think um, I really like Mikhailo Mudrik. I think, you know, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of ability. There's a lot mm. of talent. Yes, you know, he struggled at times this season. But I think recently he's shown that he's a really good player. He's he's pacey. He's direct. He takes players on. He's got he's, he's good at dribbling. Um, mm. You know, all the things you look for in, in, in a winger. And I think, you know, people forget as well when they say, oh, he's not been that good. Well, no, he hasn't. But. Again, step up going from the Ukrainian league to the Premier League is 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 night and day. Yeah. The, the difference is 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 a, is a mm. joke. You're also factoring, and the kid's 22 years of age. He's leaving his home country that's at war. He's settling into a new lifestyle in London. All, all, all the things that people don't think about, you know, that's going to affect your performances on the pitch. And you know, to expect him to have hit the ground running and be tearing it up with, within two or three months of him being here, it's just unrealistic. But I think there's a lot of potential there. I think we've seen glimpses of him, and I think. We'll get on to the manager later, but I think under yeah. someone like Pochettino, you know, who's got a proven track record of developing younger players, I think for Mudrik and Noni Madueke as well, you know, it's really exciting to see what they those guys could potentially do. So I would say Fafana, Enzo Fernandez, and then Madueke and Mudrik are, mm. are definitely ones that I'm, I'm excited to see under 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 the next manager and obviously for years to come. Yeah, definitely Medwecki in particular. He seemed to have a really good game against Arsenal more recently. And it's again, against Bournemouth, he's yeah, kind good. of demonstrated some real kind of foresight in terms of his attack. And he seems to be like just someone that's going to get even better within time if he can just get his end product there. I think there's a few occasions against Arsenal where if he'd taken his chances, potentially that becomes a bit more of a closer game as well. Um, but thinking about players that you've currently got as well, there's two players that I want to kind of allude to. First one I'll start off with is Mason Mount. So from the backdrop, it seems like he might be moving on. I mean, there seems to be kind of also kind of murmurs between Chelsea fans, whether they keep him or whether they, you know, 
are happy for him to move on. I mean, what's your personal opinions about him? And do you think there's a future for him at Chelsea still? Yeah, it's absolutely a future for him at Chelsea. I mean, amongst the Chelsea fan base, kind of the topic of Mason Mount is very divisive. It, um, mm. I think a lot of people fell up kind of talking about it. Um, but in terms of Mount himself, you know, we've seen that he can be a top quality performer for Chelsea. You've seen it over the last two seasons, back-to-back player of the year. I think he registered 30 goal contributions last season or whatever, um, or whatever it was. It was close to that. might have been 29, um, what, what, one of the two. He's proven that he can perform at a top level. He was instrumental in that run to, to winning the Champions League. Um, people forget he's still 24 years of age. You know, you are allowed to have a bad season. It, it doesn't mean you're a bad player. Yeah. Everyone has a bad season. I think it's just... People have found it like difficult to comprehend because negotiating a new contract whilst you're in bad form, people kind of be like, well, hang on a second. Like you want, these are your demands, but look how you're playing on the pitch rather than looking at the, the whole picture yeah. where absolutely based on current form, you would say, no, probably not. Maybe he doesn't deserve the money he's asking for. But we're looking at a whole picture here, a whole package of Mason Mount and what he can offer. We've seen what he can offer because he's delivered for Chelsea on a consistent basis in the past. Yes, it's not happened this season. I think it would be a massive mistake to let him go, not because he's like world-class and he's unbelievable, but mm. you know, it's really important. You need to have a core of players at a club that, understand the fabric of the club, the DNA of the club, and understand what it means to play for the club. A core of those players is really important, whether it's Mount, Reese, James and whatnot, you know, as two of the bigger examples. I think it'd be a big mistake to let him go. And I always look at it, you know, when a player's rumoured to be leaving or close to be leaving, when I look at the teams that are interested in buying that player, Mm -hmm. that tells you a lot about how good the player is. You look at the teams linked with Mason Mount, Arsenal, Liverpool, to to name a few. you know, those teams don't sign bad footballers. They're not interested in you if you're not good. So, you know, I, I've got no problem with with Chelsea fans that don't don't think Mason Mount should should renew or think it's better the club go on without him. Absolutely fine. But let's not reinvent the wheel and pretend that he's a crap player because he's not. If you don't want him to sign, don't want him to stay. That's cool. But let's not pretend that he's something that he isn't because he's a good footballer. And I think I think he will stay. I still hold out hope that he'll stay. I think he wants to stay. Um, but certainly, you know, it's it's by no means a, a done deal. Um, conversations will renew at the end of the season. I think they've already picked up yeah. again now. We're out of the Champions League. There'll be a decision one way or another come the end of the mm-hmm. season. But ultimately, I look back at it, I think there's definitely a space for him in the squad. Um, I think under Pochettino, um, he can definitely develop him and, and, and push yeah. him on. And I think he can play He can play a huge role. And, you know, English players are, are, are important as well, not only to filling the homegrown quota, but, you know, you need you need players that have got that connection to the club. So for me, yes, Mount's having a poor season, but I don't think his values at Chelsea should be underestimated and his contributions that he's made. And there's also, you know, mm. the bad season was bound to come. This is a guy that has been playing week in, week out for Derby. Then he's ever since he's been at Chelsea, he's been pretty much starting every week, tournaments of England as well. He hasn't really had a break or any time off no. for so long. I don't think people appreciate that either. You know, it's not excuses. It's just the, it's just the reality of the situation. You, know, you burn out, you're not always going to be able to perform to that top course, level. So, yeah. I mean, I hope he does stay because otherwise he's played his last game for the club and we won't see him again because he's mm. out for the rest of the season. So, yeah, all in all, mate, mm. I think we definitely need to keep him. It's important to keep those kind of players around that know the club inside out. Um, and he's a good footballer. And I think he can still offer a lot to this team. He won't be an automatic start. He has to earn that right no. again. But as a, as a squad player, he can be of, of, of real big importance yeah. to us going forward. And on this point, are you disappointed by the way the club have maybe engaged this contract talks negotiations? Because it feels like they're waiting for someone to take over before they make that step. But 
do you think it would have been better for them to have made that kind of decision and consciously and gone, look, he's someone that we know, he dies for the shirt, if anything, um, he's one of our own. Do you think that kind of plays a part as well? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you never mm. truly really know what the circumstances of the situation are. Um, you know, yes, of course, it would have been great to have wrapped this up earlier, but, you know, and he gets reported that he's rejected yeah. contract offers. It's, it's very normal to, re like, very few players, if any, accept the first contract offer. You know, you might go in and you think, right, I want, for example, I want 180K, but we're going to go in and we're going to ask for 200 because when they come down, we'll actually get what we want. So, like, you know, it's kind of just, I mean, I'm not a businessman, but it's just basic kind of negotiations. You don't go in and say, I want this because you're never going to get what you ask for no, at, the, at the first time. So, like, yes, I would have liked to, to have been wrapped up. Yes, it would have been nice to have a bit more direction. Yes, you know, you'd think regardless of the manager, you want to get Mason Mount tied down to, uh, at Chelsea. I fully understand as well at his age, he doesn't want to sign for maybe six or seven years. You know, at 24, signing six or seven years take you through to your 30s. You know, at some point you might want a new challenger. But at that point, I'm not saying it's too late, but you are kind of tying yourself in uh, and, and and limiting your mm. options if you sign a long-term contract like that. So I think for me personally, I feel that a good compromise to reach would be doing something similar to what Ben Chilwell did and, and maybe signing for another four years for example. Yeah. And then and then or, or even if he signs for another three years and that buys you a little bit more time to, to sort something out a bit more into the long term. But yeah, I, I still I still feel he will extend, but it's it's certainly up in the air and I could definitely potentially see him leaving as well. But I think it would be a big mistake if that happens. Mm. Well, we'll move on to the second player that I'm keen to actually talk to you about. And in typical Anglo-Italian fashion, we have to talk about the striker that's currently doing it for Inter at the moment anyway. And that's Romelu Lukaku. So obviously Inter have said they're not going to take him up for next season, which obviously given the backdrop of how he exited Chelsea, um, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back into Chelsea. Um, maybe the fact that Tuchel isn't there helps out the situation a little bit, um, but I think he's going to have to grovel a lot of times to Chelsea fans and uh, get some trust from them again. Um, do you see a way back for Romelu or do you think the inevitable is going to happen that he'll probably get sold in the summer? Uh, I think, firstly, on Inter's comments, I think, you know, that could be looked at sort of a bit of gamesmanship, trying to force Chelsea's hand a little bit to, to lower any potential price for a loan deal or, mm. or, or a permanent move, whatever it may be. I think it's clear that he loves Inter and he, and he wants to be there and he didn't want to leave in the yeah. first place. And whatnot. Yeah, it's been a difficult season for him over in Italy. He's come into a bit of form more recently, but he spent a long time on the treatment table this yeah. season, which has obviously not helped his cause. Um, in terms of a return to Chelsea, obviously at the end of the season, he's going to have to come back because he's a contracted Chelsea player. So I'm sure yeah. he'll play some part in pre-season um, and he'll be assessed. And I think the interesting thing is, is that Chelsea have got a massive goal scoring problem. We need a number nine. Lukaku is a proven goal scorer, goal scorer wherever he goes. He is a ready-made, potential ready-made answer to Chelsea's, one of Chelsea's biggest issues. But the only, the only way that a Lukaku return can be a starter is if he wants to try and re like redeem himself, if he wants to try mm. and make a success of his Chelsea career, that is the only way it's a, it's a goer. You know, if he doesn't want to, it's an it's as simple as that. It's a no go. Even if Pochettino wants him, if Lukaku doesn't want to be at Chelsea and doesn't want to try and make a success of it, it's an it's a it's a non-starter completely. Um, and it's as simple as that for me. You know, if he does want that, then I think with the striker market, in all honesty, I think the striker market is quite sparse this summer. You're looking at Victor mm -hmm. Osimhen. 
is 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 the, like it's going to be the main yeah. guy. Obviously, Harry Kane as yeah. well. But from a Chelsea perspective, that's not going to happen. Um, so you're looking at Victor Ossiman. I'm a massive Ivan Tony fan. I, he would be my choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. But again, could be difficult. We don't know what the outcome of the ban is. Um, so you, do you really want to sign someone that's not going to be able to play for six months potentially or longer? Um, yeah. Probably not. You're looking at the next ones down, Dusan Vlajevic. Again, I'm 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 a little bit unsure on him. Had a tricky season with Juventus so far yeah. this year. Again, young still, but there is potential there. But I look at it, I think if Lukaku wants it, if Pochettino wants it, you know, the circumstances are different. Um, there's more quality around him in terms of creative players. You've got Enzo Fernandez in midfield that's pinging those passes. We, we didn't, he didn't, we didn't really have that before. We've got out and out wide men in the likes of your Madrix, your Madwekes, your Sterlings. You imagine there's going to be a few more pieces added in the summer. You know, this can work, or it's certainly got legs to potentially work. It, what it boils down to is, is, is does Lukaku want it? And, and that is the mm. only answer we need. If he does, then there's room to bring him back in. And the only way I'll get the fans back on side is by, is by putting the ball in the back of the net. You know, if you start doing that yeah. on a regular basis, then people will forget the past. But I think, yes, there, there's definitely a, there can definitely be a future for him at Chelsea. But ultimately, as I said, it depends on does he want that? And if he does, mm. then we can then move to the next stage. It does, does Pochettino want him in his plans? If that's a yes as well, then then, then we're, we're, we're onto something and, and maybe the path to redemption can begin. But yeah, the, the main thing is Lukaku himself. Does he want to make a success of, him, of, of it yeah. at Chelsea? And if he doesn't, then that, that, that's the end of it. It does feel at the moment that Chelsea could benefit from a player of his stature at the moment, certainly from a point of view of someone that is target man, but then can naturally kind of drop off the shoulder and actually, you know, bully defenders. I think that's what Chelsea have missed at the top end of the pitch, certainly. And that alludes on to another point. I mean, Armando Brogia as well. You've missed him for the majority of this season again. And it feels like if he was in this side right now, potentially he could, could be getting goals. No definites in that side of things. But um, again, player with future at Chelsea, do you feel? Or is that another one that probably might benefit from going out on loan or going elsewhere now? Uh, I think with Bro, Bro is an interesting one. Do you know, it's a real shame because how this season's panned out, I actually think he would have played a lot of minutes mm, for us. Yeah. Um, it's just really unfortunate with how it's gone. You know, yes, he's he he got his goal against his first goal against Wolves at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season. Obviously, picks up that terrible ACL injury in that uh, World Cup friendly against Aston Villa that we had out in in mm. in, in, in the Middle East. Um, really unfortunate. You know, he only just signed a new six year contract. He's viewed as part of the future. Reports saying yeah. that you know he's not one. Uh, that the Chelsea hierarchy would, would consider letting go. Uh, I think he can definitely be a decent backup option at centre forward and, and, and get and get ample minutes. Um, depending on who comes in and who leaves, there's definitely space for him in the squad potentially. But I also feel that a Premier League loan to to, to a probably a, mm. a, a more a more of a higher standard of club than Southampton, where he had where he had that last loan, um, could could be beneficial for him as well. But I think there's a there's potential there. There's good pace. I mean, we we'll have to see what that pace is like after that ACL. Um, you know, strength, good physical profile and whatnot. You know, he's the, he's the profile of player that could do very well at Chelsea. And I think there will be opportunities there. But again, depends who comes in, depends obviously who goes out as well. Um, but I think it can be a decent backup striker. Um, but if, you know, there's not really space for him in the squad, then I think it would make sense for him to go out on loan. But he's definitely an exciting prospect. Um, I just, I just, we haven't really seen enough of him to come to sort no. of any concrete conclusions but yeah I think he there's potential there for sure yeah. is he the long-term answer it's really hard to say um but yeah I think there's a space for the squad in him for sure 
Mm. Yeah, he's definitely got the hallmarks for me. I think what he proved at Southampton was this uh, talent in there. We knew about him from the Chelsea Youth Academy anyway. He seems to be kind of a, a shining star, so to speak. And uh, it'd be a shame to see that go to waste. But yeah, ACL injuries aren't great to recover from. If anything, it encourages the second one to go. So fingers crossed for Armando anyway. Um, but Charlie, you've already been talking about this guy. So it feels like Pochettino is your man. Um but do you think realistically, because I was thinking a few weeks ago when we were planning to have this, this was going to be my topic. But it seems to be every week that goes by, there's no more news on who's going to be the man to replace Lampard. Um, you've had the likes of Nagelsmann obviously quoted as well as being a contender, but then it seems like that's gone cold as well. Um, and I'm thinking just out loudly, there's not a lot of like managers out there. Off the top of my head, maybe Zidane. I know there's uh, Enrique kind of rumours as well, but that seems to have gone dead as well. I mean, are you kind of fixed on Pochettino? And I, I personally think that would be a great appointment. But yeah, does that feel like the right fit for Chelsea at the moment? Uh, I, th- I think so. Like, I'd be lying if I sat here and said that it was my first choice. It, he certainly wasn't. You know, at the start of the process when... You know, in your Enrique's, your Nagelsmann's and stuff are involved. Nagelsmann would have been my would, would have been my personal preference. But actually, you know, as we've gone through the process and as kind of people have pulled out or not been deemed suitable, I, I've warmed to Pochettino more more than I was expecting to. I think you look at him, and I think there's a lot of similarities at Chelsea, what he will be walking into as to what he walked into at Spurs in terms of a massively oversized squad, um, a lot of really exciting young players to work. If you look at how he developed Deli Ali, how he pushed Harry Kane on, how he got Moussa Dembele and Christian Eriksen playing some superb football. You know, there's there's like, you sort of think, look at the young players you've got. Enzo Fernandez could massively come on under him. So could Mudrick, so could Madweke. He could get a lot more out of Mason Mount if he stays as well. I'm not saying that Mount's like Deli Ali, but because I think Deli Ali is probably a little bit more attack-minded than Mason Mount. But you look at how he pushed on Deli Ali and got him playing probably the best football of his career. Mason Mount is a similar in... in 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 quite similar to to Ali uh, to in, in in a way, so I think you know that his record of improving youngsters is a massive plus. Given we've got so many talented youngsters in the squad, I think tactically smart is astute. I think he's a good tactician, um, and you know he'll get the team fit. You know Lampard was right when he said these guys aren't fit. The amount of times we've been like sort of in a game for half an hour and then we've just disappeared for the rest of it because the fitness levels aren't there. You only have to look at. When he took over at Southampton, I think they are bottom of the, the the charts with distance covered in games. Went straight to the top when he took over. Same with Spurs; they were near the bottom. As soon as he took over, Spurs were covering the most ground in the league. Like if these lads think they've got a, a, an easy preseason, they're in for a shock because they're going to be running and they're going to be covering ground. So if anything, we'll at least be one of the fittest sides in the league, which I think will, will definitely help us. But yeah, mm. I, I, I like I like Pochettino. As I said, proven track record of developing youngsters. A good tactician. He's smart. He's well respected within the game. Um, and I think for what Chelsea are in right now, I think it's a great appointment. Yes, you could say, oh, well, you know, he's not, there's not too many trophies on the CV to back things up, but I think we've got to move away from looking at successes as uh, like black and white, as trophies you're successful, no trophies you're not. You can still be a very good manager and not have the trophies to necessarily back it up. But I think you, yeah. I think the fit for me is like, I want to look at someone that's actually going to be best suited to the project and mm. yes you know you can never if football's weird you've got a you've got to be successful short term but you've got a plan long term which is kind of both sort of counter counterintuitive <laughs> yeah. as it were but that, that, that's that, yeah. that, that's that's sort of how it works so i think he ticks a lot of boxes every manager's got their flaws some people aren't going to be able to look past the spurs links but 
to those people, I'd say, think how good it would feel if we get Tottenham's best manager for a long, long time. And he comes to Chelsea and he wins a trophy, which he couldn't mm. do at Spurs. That, that, that's 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 going to be great. That's going to be some some great ammunition to have uh, over Spurs. So I think, look, the Spurs thing, I, I I haven't got a massive issue with it. I don't think it's a big deal, but you can certainly be assured that if he doesn't get off to the best of starts, that's going to be the first thing that's thrown at him. Or if they go for a difficult period, that's going to be the first thing thrown at him. Is 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 that is that Spurs connection? But yeah, I, I, I think it's an exciting appointment. I definitely think it's one that can work well. I think it's one that that Chelsea needs, and it's the sort of the smart appointment that we perhaps should have made uh, in in September, but we didn't. Yeah. Well, we're going to conclude this, Charlie. Um, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I suppose if you had free asks by the end of this summer. What are the asks that you want to happen by the end of that summer? Goalkeeper, defensive midfielder, striker. Uh, but no, but uh, <laughs> and 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 for the squad to be massively trimmed down. So I'm talking like yeah. we need to, the, the squad's what 30, 33 in size. So many players have got to go. So we've got to get rid of the players that I think we just got to basically allow Pochettino to have control, not full control, but as much control as possible to make the decisions on who's going out and who's coming in. Um, that, that, that That's vital. If you're bringing a manager in for, for with a view to a long-term project, you've got to allow them to have a reasonable amount of say in that. So, yeah, for, for me on the wish list of the top three things that need to be done, clear the squad out um, and, 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 and address the key areas that need addressing. Striker, midfielder and, and goalkeeper. I mean, in terms of players, it's, it's tough. We, we touched on forwards. Ivan Tony would be my choice. If we can't get him for whatever reasons... Mm. I don't know. Ossiman, Ossiman's had a phenomenal season in Serie A. Yeah, Obviously, you watch a lot more Serie A than yeah. I do, but Ossiman is, is, is a top player. But I just worry with Chelsea and, 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 and big money signings in the striking position. They just generally don't tend to work out too well. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if we'd be better served signing someone from like maybe the next tier down, mm-hmm. not as big a name, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and spending more money towards a holding midfield player or more and more money towards a goalkeeper. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I look at someone like Kolu Moani. I, 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 I like him. I think he's, a, I think he's an exciting player. Dusan Vlahovic mm. is another one that we mentioned earlier. I, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure on him. Um, I agree. Yeah, I agree. There's something not right with him this season. He's not clicks. It's, it hasn't helped with the Juventus backtrack. Um, but one player that I think, and I'm not just doing it for the sake of who's coming back to Chelsea, but uh, Lotaro Martinez at yeah. Inter Milan. I think he'd be a great kind of foil at Chelsea, you know, someone that can, you know, he's got on his day a very good finish. He can be the kind of perfect foil for a Lukaku or some of your midfielders, whoever decides to play in that position. But I genuinely think he's a good player. And then there was rumours about this one, but I don't know how legitimate they were. But Rasmus Hoyland at Atalanta. Oh, yeah. He's it's got a Haaland-esque kind of feel about him. He's yeah. still young. And, you know, I feel there's still time for him, to be honest. I think he needs an extra season in Serie A before oh, we yeah. can kind of really truly see how he's going to adapt. But he's certainly got promising signs. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of so, yeah. like a forward market, it says quite sparse. So, I mean, it wouldn't completely surprise me if Chelsea do try and get Lukaku to come back and, and and include him somewhat because you know as we said there's not there's not that many options out there in terms of the caliber of forward that Chelsea are looking for. I mean I think in yeah. in defensive midfield it's a bit easier. You're looking at Declan Rice would be my choice. I think he's a phenomenal footballer. Um, Romeo Lavio is another really exciting one at Southampton with them almost certain to go yeah. down. I think a deal for him can be a lot cheaper than it would have been if they were still in the Premier League. 
I mean, look at Moises Caicedo at Brighton, who I think is a superb footballer. I've, only, I've watched him twice this mm. season, live, home and away against Brighton. Just dominates the midfield. He's, he's, he's just a, he's just yeah, a joke how good he is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, yeah, I mean, and you, then you look at Ugarte at, at Sporting Lisbon. Um, again, an, another another good player there. Yeah. Uh, Manu Kone at Mitch and Gladbach. You know, these are the sort of players we, we, we're looking at. I feel that, you know, in midfield, we'd, if we could get, it's a bit greedy, but if we could get two, it would be great. One kind of more experienced one, say maybe a Declan Rice, and then to complement that, maybe a Lavia or a Kone or an Agate alongside that, because it's important that, yes, it's great. You, you need some experience as well. You can't just sign all these youngsters. You've got to have a little bit of experience to complement it. So, yeah, I guess my, if, I had, if I had three players for a summer wish list, I'd go Ivan Tony, Declan Rice, and then in goal, goal's difficult. Mm, it's tough. I mean, we've, been linked, we've been linked with Andre Anana uh, from Inter. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd go for Milan, Mike Magnan. Yeah, Mike Magnan would be my choice. Yeah, mm. he'd be my choice, but I think that's going to be virtually impossible. But yeah, the summer wish list would be Rice, Tony and Mike Magnan. But I, I, I suspect that we could end up with none of those. Well, Todd, you know what you've got to do. Make Charlie happy and get those signings. But um, Charlie, delighted to have you on and talk about Chelsea. Uh, for those that are interested in kind of catching your work and more importantly, what you get up to on Chelsea Fan TV, where can they catch you on? Yeah, so guys, I've got my own channel called Blue Brother. Um, so yeah, just type that in. Feel free to subscribe to me. I'm heading towards 3,000 subscribers now. I've got less than 100 to go. So yeah, anyone that's enjoyed the chat, enjoyed what I've had to say, yeah, feel free to subscribe and help me on the road to 3,000. Um, in terms of other stuff that I do, uh, go head over to Chelsea Fan TV. I do stuff on there. It's a weekly podcast. I do fan cams after the game. So if you're interested in my thoughts or you mm. just want to support myself and the channel, then head over to Chelsea Fan TV and subscribe to them as well um and that that's pretty much it mate um yeah i'm on blue brother my own channel and chelsea fan tv um i, I do a bit on twitter as well so if you fancy yeah. checking me out on there for some chelsea stuff then feel free to give me a follow um it's, it was on it was on my screen at charlie patrick zero so if you want to check me out there then, then do but yeah that, that, that that's that's where i do all my stuff or if you're a chelsea fan and you see me at stanford bridge feel free to come and say hi <laughs> No, definitely. And uh, definitely have to just talk up this channel because you do good work there, certainly with the guests as well. Um, you talk a lot of sense, as I kind of introed it anyway. So, um, Charlie, thanks again. And guys, join us after this break. And here we are for the Champions League review. So I'll just do a quick summary on both games. And I'm sure you'll join us on Monday night when we'll do our live stream and we'll discuss the upcoming preview for the games. I'm obviously going to be joining a friend to take in Man City versus Real Madrid. And my co-host, Rory, will be going to Inter versus Milan in the return leg of that Champions League game. But let's start off and kick off with Real Madrid versus Man City. Finished up one all, um, and all we can say was there were some spectacular goals, even though there was only two in total. Um, fascinating matchup and um, quite telling about the different stars deployed by both sides. It's certainly uh, something that I would say Real Madrid learned from uh, Newcastle over the weekend and they uh, definitely dished out some punishment towards Man City. Um, but I thought it was quite a mature kind of performance from Man City, a bit maybe 
at times lackluster uh, in terms of their approach. Sometimes I, I felt like they could have got the ball a lot more quicker in terms of that final third approach. And I think that allowed Real Madrid just enough time to get behind the lines and make sure that Man City couldn't really break as much as they could and cause that devastation that they can sometimes do to teams. Um, definitely a quieter night for the likes of Benzema and Haaland. Uh, Benzema probably edged it slightly, um, had a fantastic chance in the first half, had it not been for Ruben Diaz sliding in to ensure that he couldn't tuck it away at the far post in the first half. Um, but I had to kind of allude to the fact that I think Real Madrid are definitely kicking themselves right now. I think you could tell by the emotions of Ancelotti by the full-time whistle where he was cursing at the referee and certainly he felt his side had done enough to at least try and get a second goal. Um, there's a few calls or shouts for like penalties to be given against likes of Diaz and one time for John Stones as well but I felt referee got those decisions spot on. Um, but I didn't necessarily agree with the referee all the time during this match. I felt he gave a lot of lenient decisions at times, a bit harshly done against Man City. Um, but what it does mean is the return leg is going to be even more fascinating. And I'm praying that this match doesn't go towards extra time or penalties because it will make my uh, journey back home even more tougher. Having said that, though, I'm looking forward to this fascinating matchup. But Rory has got a very interesting and tasty tie himself to look forward to. So in the first leg, we saw Milan losing 2-0 against Inter. One thing that kind of came to fore as soon as like we saw that performance was Milan looked like deers in headlights. Really, they weren't having the same intensity that we know this Milan squad can do and deliver and they were missing the likes of Rafael Liao, it's fair to say. Um, that outlet was, has been huge in the last few games, especially when you think about the lead-up to this uh, Champions League semi-final. If it had not been for Liao and his performances in terms of being that outlet and being able to cause himself a bit of a menace on, on defences, then I suspect this game could be a little bit more closer um, but that said, even at the back, the likes of Kia and Tomori had a dreadful game, it has to be said. And I felt it was a really good performance by Inter. Probably unlucky not to have won this game by a lot more goals. Um, certainly interesting decision about the penalty call as well. Um, I don't know if you guys agree necessarily. Um, it On the surface of it, probably is a bit of a soft one, so probably naturally lean towards the referee and say you got that spot on but i'm sure there's a lot of debate on that one but yeah inzaghi got one over on purely that was the main question that was going through my head especially when it comes to those moments where purely seemed to be getting a bit of a grip or in particular i suppose in that second half so compliments to Inter fans, wherever you are, you did a fantastic performance in that first leg. And uh, it, all it does do is it sets it up for the return legs now. So, boy, am I looking forward to it. But I'm sure you guys as well listening and viewing this right now will be looking forward to this as well. So let us now move into the weekend preview and we're going to start off by talking about the Premier League. So 
as you guys will look forward to this, we'll start off by Saturday. And the first game to kick off is Leeds United against Newcastle United. That's a 12.30 a.m. or p.m. kickoff, should I say, sorry. And, yeah, Sam Allardyce needing to get a result. We've talked about it on Monday's live stream. Big three points there available, potentially. However, it's not going to be a straightforward game, especially against Eddie Howe's Newcastle. Followed up by that at 3pm, we have got Aston Villa taking on Spurs, Chelsea taking on Nottingham Forest, Crystal Palace versus Bournemouth and Man United versus Wolves. Before we also see Southampton taking on Fulham in what feels like a must-win game because I'm sure if they don't, they are pretty much guaranteed relegated from the league. Then looking into Sunday at 2pm, we have got Brentford taking on West Ham and also Everton taking on Man City. Big game there. But also for Rory, huge game at 4.30pm and that is Arsenal taking on Brighton and Hove Albion. Brighton not in great form of late, so potentially another opportunity for Arsenal to get three points here. Then on Monday at 8pm, we'll have Leicester City taking on uh, Liverpool. Huge game there again for Leicester City, depending on the results that do happen over this weekend period. So guys, make sure you have a look at those games and familiarise yourself, see which ones you fancy. Um, certainly going to be some interesting games to be played there. We'll move into Serie A. And we'll start off by Friday evening, or for you guys, if you're listening to this on Saturday, it's happened the day before, and that is Lazio taking on Lecce at 7.45pm kickoff. Um, yeah, big game for both sides here. Lecce more to ensure that they stay in the league, and Lazio just to confirm themselves in that top four mix at the moment. They haven't demonstrated their worth of late. Uh, certainly feels like they're bottling this at the moment, having kind of demonstrated really good start in Serie A. Anyway, we'll move into Saturday and first early kickoff is 2pm and that is Salernitana taking on Atalanta. Salernitana in fantastic form with Paolo Sosa uh, taking on Gian Piero Gasparini's Atalanta, who have been a bit of hit and miss of late, um, could do with a win just to keep that momentum going into that top four mix. But realistically, I think this is going to be a draw. Then at 5pm, we have got a huge game here. Spezia taking on Milan. Again, a team that's struggling in Spezia haven't won in almost two months here. Uh, they take on a Milan squad that are defeated from that Champions League game. I'm sure this is going to be an interesting one in the sense of purely will he rest his key men ahead of that second leg against Inter. But we also have Inter taking on Sassuolo at the San Siro, 7.45pm kickoff on Saturday. Again, big game because Inter have been in fantastic form of late. Does Inzaghi risk some of those plays? That'll be interesting to see the lineups going into that. Then we move into Sunday, the early kickoff, 11.30am, and that's Hellas Verona taking on Torino. Hellas in great form of late, look like they're pulling themselves out of that relegation battle, but they need to follow on with a win here, ideally. We'll move into the 2pm kickoff, so that's Fiorentina versus Udinese and Monza versus Napoli. Not much to be played here, potentially, but 
yeah, more for pride stakes potentially in Monza. Can they get another scalp by taking points off Napoli? Let's see. Then we move into 5 p.m. on Sunday. We've got Bologna taking on Roma. And then at 7.45, another kind of relegation team here that could still stay up technically. Um, they need a massive win away at Juventus. And then finally on Monday night, as we'll probably be doing a live stream at 7.45 p.m., we've got Sampdoria taking on Empoli. Sampdoria already relegated. So I can see this being more a game of pride for Empoli or Sampdoria, should I say. But Empoli will be there to try and take any points. So that's it for this week's pod. If you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to our social media channels, including YouTube. So make sure you click the button down below. If you haven't followed us on social media, please follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Podcast or on the lights of Instagram. We're at Anglo Italian Podcasts. Uh, please give us a review where you can. Five stars would be massively appreciated. And make sure you also join us on Monday for a live review. We will have a guest on. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but he's a top, top guest. We'll make sure we'll put that into the socials before the live stream does occur. So please make sure if you've got a chance, join us for that live stream. If not, please listen to us on the Tuesday with our regular podcast of that live stream. So I'm going to play you out to a quote from. Simeone Inzaghi after his victorious 2-0 win in Champions League against Milan and he goes the guys were really great in managing such an emotional match we have continued like this we know that we're just one step away from a dream that we believed in from August until today keep dreaming guys keep dreaming for now take care speak to you soon Podcast Network.